Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 64 with our guest, Ari Mizell. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. Welcome right into the studio. You are tuned directly into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. While most people might fear being replaced in their business, our guest wants to help you become more replaceable. How cool is that? He is the creator of the proprietary system called the OAO Blueprint, which stands for Optimize, Automate, and Outsource. And it is those very three things that will help you become more replaceable, more efficient, and scale your business. Isn't that what you want? This is so applicable no matter your business and no matter your lifestyle. We are going to dig deep into both of those areas. Our guest is also the best-selling author of the book, Less Doing, More Living, Make Everything in Life Easier which has a near-perfect rating from more than 90-plus reviews on Amazon to make matters even better. He's a graduate of the Wharton School of Business. I've heard of that. He's also an Ironman and a devoted husband and father to four children. I can go on and on, but why don't we help him connect some of these dots? Welcome to the show, Ari Mizell. What's going on, Ari? That, um, all of those things. Thanks, Josh. That's a good <laughs> intro. You are correct. All of those things are going on. And, you know, putting together your bio, I, I mean, I, I could have gone on and on. And I, I, I love it. There's just so much to sink your teeth into, as they say. And let's, let's get right to it. So this whole concept of less doing, more living, make everything in life easier. First of all, it always seems like people want to make life as difficult as they possibly can. I mean, I watch people that just you know, drudge through life, making things very difficult for themselves. So this whole concept of, of less doing, it, it, am I correct in thinking that all along, aren't we fed the opposite logic? Yeah, absolutely. Is that the point? Yeah. Yeah. So there's just generally speaking, there's like four levels of human thinking uh, in terms of a business at least. And well, no, actually in, in general. Um, so there's like the task level, the process level, 
the goal level and the outcome level. Uh, and a lot of people really get stuck at that task level where they're like mm. a cog in a machine. And uh, some of that is cultural. Some of that is just like it's been ingrained in us. Some of that is survival. Some of that is uh, just plain old just human psychology. And it's extremely, it's almost impossible for somebody who's at task level to start thinking at outcome level. And it's very, very difficult for them to think at process or even uh, goal level. If they're at process level, they might be able to think at goal level, but if they're at task level, it's very, very hard to see goals. And if you don't understand goals uh, or what the purpose of your work is, like if you don't have purpose, it's really, really hard to, to engage with that work. And also we have this sort of like industrial age mentality, I think instilled in a lot of us where uh, your value is how much you can produce. Uh, so productivity is producing more, whereas efficiency is producing more with less, but effectiveness, which is what we teach, is producing the right things. And I think that we rob ourselves of that opportunity a lot of times and we just sort of fall into patterns. What were these four things, task, process, goal, and outcome? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's some examples I could give you. That Please. Sort of, yeah, so um, there's a Far Side cartoon. Remember the Far Side? Of course. Okay, so there's a Far Side cartoon with this guy laying down in front of a in front of a car and it's like bob's image of himself was so low that he decided to just lay down and become a speed bump so <laughs> yeah you know the cartoon itself is is not the the crux here so the point of that is if bob you ask bob what he does he says i'm a speed bump well you say well why a speed bump and someone at task level is like i don't know ask ask the boss you know i don't know um but if you say to bob like hey you know bob yeah i guess you're a speed bump but you know the the, the process level right is that you're really part of like a traffic control system here so, okay, fine. That's, that's, I guess, bigger than being a speed bump. That's great. But if you get to the goal level, you say, well, you, what you're really doing is increasing safety, right? We're helping people be safer. Mm. If you can figure out a way to get to outcome level and you say, well, yeah, Bob, you're, you know, you're, you're a speed bump, but you're really helping with safety. But a hundred feet down the road from where you are is a, is a, a school. So really the outcome of what you're doing is saving children's lives. So, the, the, the thing is, is that if you, if you tell somebody who's at task level, who thinks that they're a speed bump, uh, that, I mean, that's what they, they, their uh, view of the, the work that they do is, then that person's going to show up late. They're not going to care as much. They're not mm -hmm. going to engage. They're going to be sick more and they're just, they're not going to be there. But if you can get that person to understand that what they're doing is really saving kids' lives, you, we see this in studies, you know, like the show up rates are better. The, they, they don't call in sick. They don't show up late, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and all that is, is mindset. It's all really just say, understanding. Yeah. So uh, just not to go too far onto this, but uh, one of my favorite companies in the world is Costco. Uh, and I think that Costco does so many things right and the customer experience is so right. And one of the, the exact opposite of that is Ikea. Uh, the customer experience at Ikea is just despicable in my opinion. Um, and it's so, like there's things that it almost feels like they're doing it on purpose to make it so bad. Uh, but it, one very specific thing is I showed up the other day at an Ikea to get something. I was the first person in the door. I walked over to the counter because I needed to have them pull something for me. And there was nobody there for 10 minutes. Uh, and finally, and nobody knew where anybody was. And finally somebody kind of like, I saw this woman like walking over, sort of sauntering over from all the way across the, the floor. And it's like, that's, that's task level. That's a task level thinking where you don't see that at a company like Costco. Um, so I, anyway, I, I'm not sure how I got on that track, but that's, that's something we see quite a bit. Wow, it's the perfect track, actually. And I want to continue down this whole outcome uh, element. So as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a founder, what have you, or even as an employee, um, is our 
how do we get to outcome? Is it like you said, just, just really seeing the big picture or seeing a different picture, changing your mindset? How, how does all that start? Yeah, it, it, it's a mindset thing. And a lot of that comes down to leadership and also like expressing vision and what success looks like and why the why it's like, you know, the Simon Sinek thing, you start with the Love why, it. why, yep. why do we do, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Uh, and I, I just, I think that, that leadership in many companies does a really poor job of serving their team members. Mm. Why are you doing what you're doing? I know the whole outcome is to help others become more efficient to really the end result is to give us more time, right? Why? Because I truly believe that everybody has some sort of genius in them and that experience is the greatest teacher and that everybody has their own unique perspective. And most people, like most, most people that I meet and I come across are simply being blocked from doing that because of something that's going on in their life. So, so I have a very different mentality when it comes to growing a business. To me, uh, there's great systems out there for proactively growing a business. There's things like EOS and scale up and all these things. And they're great. And I, I'm uh, I incredible respect for those methods and they work. Um, I look at the opposite side of things. I want to look at what's holding you back from naturally achieving what you're going to get to. So if you, the nice thing about that is that I, because that's how I approach things and that's how my methodology works, I've been able to work with uh, side hustle, stay-at-home moms, solopreneurs, the U.S. Army, the British government, Fortune 500s, because I don't have to make you better at what you do. I just have to give you more time to do it. Hmm. Wow. So you want to free up our time by putting systems and processes in place? to help us optimize, automate, and outsource? Correct, exactly. Um, and so if I can, and time, by the way, is not really the goal here. I wanna make you as, I wanna give you as much time as you can to focus on what you do best. I wanna make you as flexible as possible so you can work where, when, and how you want. And not just because you want to, but because it will make you more effective. And I wanna give you the freedom to potentially leave uh, and explore and contribute without it hurting the business. Um, now, I don't want you to actually have to leave your company. You could if you wanted to. But by creating that as a, as a goal, uh, it sets the company up in a much better path. So we're removing bottlenecks at every stage, which is kind of interesting if you think about it that way, because essentially what we're saying is like your business is going to be successful if you just get the hell out of the way. Mm. I love that. So you're... I know in the book, uh, The Replaceable Founder, you talk about these... Um, these uh, uh, three concepts, communication, project management, and process. Is that the overarching theme to helping us get out of our own way? Yeah, and I'd say communication is number one. Like if we want to look at like the 80-20 rule, like communication is the biggest thing. If we get communication protocols working properly, everything else can happen a lot more easily. And everybody listening has a communication problem in their company. I just want to put it out there. Um, we all do. We all need to do better at it. Uh, simple things that something as simple as telling people in advance what constitutes an emergency. Um, now, I know that that sounds silly, maybe, but none of you do it. You know you don't do it. Uh, and so what ends up happening is that everybody thinks everything is an emergency. And what do we do in emergency nowadays most times? We pick up the phone and call people, which is completely disruptive and not really helpful. Mm. Uh, there's nothing in my business that would constitute an emergency. There's things in my personal life because I had four kids that would constitute an emergency, but nothing in my business. So my phone never rings from a team member. That doesn't happen. 
so you have to set these things out in advance and think through the things that might happen. And instead of trying to put out fires so that you look like this really amazing firefighter and everyone thinks you're a hero, stop doing that and try to create a fireproof building in the first place. Oh, that's huge. And I was going to say that it seems like so many of us are just putting out fires, waking up and uh, looking for what's wrong. What do I have to solve? Yeah. And, the, and that's the problem is that we, it's an ego thing for the most part, because, uh, you know, you're, you're out to dinner with your family, right? Or you're at your kid's like recital and, and, and you get a call in the middle. It's like, oh, you know, work needs me. I, I got to fix this thing. Yeah, it's shitty and we don't like that. But at the same time, we kind of do. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm the one that's going to help them. So you have to get out of your way and realize that that's complete BS. And you're really hurting your company because you're at that point, you basically own your own job. You don't own a company. Hmm. I, I started earlier saying that I witness people almost almost doing everything they can to make life hard and make life difficult. And it seems like that connects with exactly what you just said, that who, who would have seen that or admitted that, that we, we might, oh, great, another call. But a sense of us likes that and needs that. But that's, yeah. Right. Everyone wants to feel useful, right? Um, and the thing is, is that uh, entrepreneurs are particularly guilty of that, obviously. Uh, there's some really, really interesting research, actually, that basically presents this idea that entrepreneurs are an evolutionary irritant. So basically, like, we will mess things up in order to make them better. And if there's nothing to mess up, then we'll, we'll find something to mess up or we'll self-sabotage. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's a fascinating sort of take on things. And I think it makes total sense. And the risk profile that entrepreneurs have is completely like, uh, disruptive, destructive to everybody around them that is not entrepreneurial. I could totally relate to that. I get it. I experienced it. I see it. I want to, um, I want to unravel that just a little bit more that um, we will look for things where this irritant, we will look for things to mess up. Is it because we have such a difficult time just relaxing and finding something else to do in the meantime or just going with the flow? Because it seems like we have to fill our minds with that in order to feel however that is. Is the goal just trying to relax in our day? Not necessarily. I wouldn't say so, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I think that intensity is really, really important. And it's just a matter of where you direct that intensity. And you can, inten you can direct that intensity towards personal growth, towards your family, and or towards your company or towards the work you're doing. And I think that a lot of times we misdirect that energy. That's mm. just one of the ways to put it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, in terms of this, uh, the, like, we'll just sort of mess things up or we'll make, pro the basic thing is that where a lot of people see problems, entrepreneurs see opportunities. And that's good or bad, right? It depends on, on what we see. When I go to Ikea, I can't help but see all the things that they're doing wrong and then like want to talk about it on a podcast so that, you know, someone from Ikea hears this and realizes how stupid they're being about their customer service experience. And I'm going to write a blog post about this too because I can't help myself. Um, now, fortunately, I've created a business around me where me writing content like that is actually useful to what I do. But for a lot of people, it's not. Wow. Um, how did you get... What were you doing right before this whole less doing mission? Construction. Uh, I was in the construction business. So I, I went uh, to visit, I got out of college, went to visit a friend in upstate New York. 
and ended up staying for three years, put myself into $3 million of debt and built uh, a project that was this old railroad, this old warehouse development that I turned into a bunch of lofts. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, worked in construction, like literally the, the deal was that anybody that worked on the job had to teach me their trade. So I spent three years learning and doing every construction trade imaginable. I ran a team of 60 people. Uh, I was dealing with legal aspects, zoning, media, uh, everything that it was like a crash course in real estate development. And it was the hardest work I've ever done in my entire life. But that's what I was doing. Hmm. And then you woke up one day and said, oh, I got to work less. I got to figure this out. I'm overworked. No, I, I, I was woke, actually, because I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 23. And uh, Crohn's is a, considered to be incurable and is a, a very, very painful, very debilitating illness. So I went from working these like 18-hour days to struggling to get an hour of work done a given day. And when presented with that kind of restriction, you could sort of give up, which I did for probably two years. Or you could say, well, this is the time that I have to do things. So I'm going to get as much done as I can or figure out ways to get that stuff done. So I'm a big fan of artificially restrictive or legitimately restrictive limits in your life in order to squeeze out more innovation. I think that entrepreneurs particularly do really poorly in situations where they have too many resources and too much, too many options. Uh, you, you even look at money, you look at a funded company, uh, so many funded companies fail. Uh, and I, I think that some of them might've done better if they had had less money given to them. <laughs> Because of uh, needing to, what, be more creative, look at other opportunities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Have to be more creative. I mean, it, you know, the, yeah, yeah. Having yeah. to be more creative, having to look at how you actually do the things that you do rather than just doing oh. them because you can. So at 23, wow, you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And I know today, um, I'll use the word uh, cured. You're, you, you've cured yourself. Tell me all about this, please. Yeah, people don't like when I use that word. So I, I try not to because it's an incurable illness. Um, they say. But, yeah, uh, I think it's controlled and I have control over it. I haven't had uh, pain or medicine in the last eight years uh, because of it. And I'm not worried about it happening again because I recognize the, the signals and I could do something about, like I would go into a mode where I would do something about it. Right. Um, so I, I, it was, it was a really, really challenging time. The information was not great about it at the time. And also it's one of the things that a lot of people just, at least then it maybe not so much now, but you just didn't really talk about it because it's a bathroom related thing, right? Like okay. so most people just, I mean, I was fine with it, but most people just don't talk about it. So it's hard. And it's also a young person's disease. I was diagnosed when I was 23, but I, I talk to parents all the time who have 14-year-olds and 12-year-olds, and, and mm -hmm. uh, it's really challenging. So, uh, but a lot of it comes down to stress management. Stress is the biggest issue that I've seen with it. So how did you, what did you put in place to overcome this? Well, so that's where less doing really came from. So less doing, more living was the productivity system I created to systematically help me deal with the stress. Uh, and, and a lot of that really just comes down to having systems in place to clear your mind, know that things are getting done, have processes so that they can get done without you. Hmm. Uh, and that's very freeing in itself. A lot of people just don't have these systems in place. You know, another way to look at this is when I was doing, so I did Ironman, Ironman France. And when you're that's doing huge. the Ironman particularly, your your head down the whole time right swimming and paddling and you're looking at like jellyfish and stuff under you but every now and then you have to just take your eyes above the surface to make sure you're still swimming towards the buoy 
And most people don't do that when they're working. They just put their head down and they keep shoveling and they don't even look to make sure that they're going in the right direction. Wow. So did you, did you control Crohn's or cure it, whatever you prefer to use there? Um, did you do that also by, um, so it was lifestyle changes, right? But then uh, mental and emotional changes have to have been significant as well. I mean, most of this is mental and emotional is really being able to have some sense of control. Over, I think that control is the antidote to stress for the most part. If we have control over our environment, over our inbox, like any of that kind of stuff will ultimately lead to a reduction in stress uh, because a lot of overwhelm is simply not knowing what's causing the overwhelm. It's just that thing where we just throw our hands up and we just keep going. Hmm. And you also talk about the three fundamentals of wellness, fitness, sleep, and nutrition which I love. Talk to me about how those things are, those three things are important. Yeah. So that was so much, that was a lot more primary in the, the less doing system of things. And now the focus is much more on business and the replaceable founder. And, but still, of course, you know, as a, as a human being in a business, right, we have to, we have to support those things. Um, so I got really heavy into the sort of biohacking movement and uh, sleep hacking was a big one, especially with my, with four children, you know, sleep mm. becomes unpredictable for nutrition, I have I had found at the time that a high fat, low sugar diet was really like the most effective for me, which doesn't necessarily mean gluten free. It doesn't necessarily mean low carb. Um, that it was just that I felt like a lot of the people I was dealing with were not getting enough good fats, and especially for an inflammatory illness, uh, fats were really key. And then uh, supplement wise, um, there's there's uh, a lot that I do in terms of anti-inflammation and just sort of like baseline uh, supplement nutrition basically that I, I think sort of keeps me going and lets me know that uh, I've got, again, that sort of baseline, it's almost like insurance. So you are, um, you're the less doing go-to guy. What does a day in the life of you look like? What are uh, you doing? Yeah. So pretty much uh, six to nine in the morning is like kid time, basically. So one, someone, one of the kids will wake me up and then it's breakfast, getting dressed, getting them. Two of the kids take the bus. One gets driven to school. Another one gets taken to school somewhere else. We're in three different schools right now. Wow. And then uh, nine o'clock from nine to two thirty is work time. And that's where I'll be either in my office here uh, doing stuff here, or um, I may be out having meetings too, but two, nine to two thirty is work time. Three o'clock. I pick up one of my sons at school uh, today, he's got a Minecraft class that I have to take him to and then come back, get other kids, go back, get him. Like, so uh, three to eight is basically like kid time again. Eight to 10 is generally uh, wife time. And then like 10 to 1030, if I can make it is usually for me. Uh, and that's, that's a typical day for me. Wow. What, what was life like growing up for Ari as a young child? Paint that picture for us. Well, so as an only child to two entrepreneurs. Um, so my oh. parents were always there, but they, they definitely had their focus on their businesses. My mother was an artist and a real estate broker and my father's been an art dealer forever. Hmm. So uh, I've always gotten a lot of like emotional support from my mother, none from my father, uh, other support in other ways, but never mm -hmm. sort of emotional. So I think that that was this sort of like pressure cooker for me in some ways to overachieve, I guess. So I started my first company when I was 12 and my second and third companies when I was 16 and 17. So I was always sort of doing that kind of stuff. Even before that, I was a, I was a child model when I was nine. 
uh, and I were was, you? Yes, wow. and I was a magician before that. That I was like seven, seven years old doing birthday parties for three year olds. So I, I feel like I never really had a childhood in some ways. I think I was like born into like adulthood and treated that way very much my whole mm-hmm. life. I was always at I was at client dinners with my my parents, and I would travel with them to oh. art shows in London and stuff. Uh, which is great and very exciting in some ways, but in in retrospect now, I'm sort of dealing with this as a parent. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of things that I literally just don't recognize as normal childhood things. So it's, you know, but at the same time, I think that turned me into the driven entrepreneur that I am. What did we learn from your modeling career? <laughs> uh it's a good, well, actually, I'll say that what I learned from the modeling career, which I think is probably a bad lesson at the time, was that my time was worth $150 an hour when I was nine. Uh, so it was really hard to sit in class and give a shit. Oh, because of what you knew you could be making. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not into the board. Like, this is not interesting to me. And I'm, I'm literally like, I'm wasting money right now. That's what it felt like, which is not a healthy thing for a nine-year-old to be thinking. But um, it. I think one of the benefits of that was I learned very early about not wanting to trade time for dollars. Mm, tell me more of what that means for those listening. I love that concept. Well, so that, that really plays into this whole replaceable founder idea. We have a metric that we use called time to departure, which is the number of days notice you'd have to give your team if you wanted to go on vacation. Ooh. And for most people that we talk to, it's 30, 60, 90 days in some cases. And that is freaking scary. If you think about that, uh, that's you're shackled at that point. For me, it's zero. I could I could message my team right now while we're doing this podcast and be like, I'm going to be unavailable for the next week, and it wouldn't matter. Hmm. Uh, the company would continue on. So I think early on, very like understanding to myself, like if I'm working, I'm making money. If I'm not working, I'm not making money. That as a as a young as a child, that didn't make sense to me, or that didn't seem something that was like that that uh, could thrive because it's like well. This week I am learning something interesting in school and I want to focus on that, but then I don't make money. So like, how do I balance that out? So I think understanding early on that if I made something that was outside of me, that was beyond me, that could continue to make money, that was something that I wanted. So my first company was a website design company uh, when I was 12. And I was making, I mean, at the time, 12 year olds could make really good websites compared to what was out there. So I was doing a lot of art related websites because my father was in the art business and I'd been in that world. Mm. And that was my first sort of understanding of seeing like, oh, and I can charge a monthly maintenance fee, you know, that, that just continues beyond. And I'm technically, even if it's a dollar a day, I'm making more, I'm, something's being earned without me like, you know, running the wheel. Did you teach yourself um, through all this um, financial education or did you have some input along the way? Uh, I, I, think I, I think I sort of learned along the way, honestly. Um, I went to uh, the United Nations International School and they didn't teach that kind of thing there. Hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I probably read a lot of books that, you know, from different entrepreneurs and stuff, but. What did you learn from Wharton, would you say? Um, what did I learn from Wharton? That's, that's, uh, there's one quote that I took away from Wharton from one of my teachers, which is oddly enough, my uh, real estate development teacher. He said, uh, don't ever be irreplaceable because if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. Um, wow. that's what I took. That's what I took from my, uh, my three years. At 
um, I mean, I had a, I, so I, academically, I, I did not, I, I was not really focused academically when I was in school. Um, I, I was very involved in the school community itself and helping to actually help create the entrepreneurship major while I was there. Mm. And I graduated a year early with a major in real estate, minor, I mean, sorry, a major in real estate, a major in entrepreneurship, a minor in psychology and a minor in art history. Um, so I did a lot while I was there, but, um, you know, when I got out and I start this real estate development project in Binghamton, you find out really quickly that an Ivy League education in real estate development doesn't teach you how to build a building. Mm, imagine that. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? No. <laughs> to both. I mean, so I'm, I'm culturally Jewish. We're raising our children Jewish. Um, and I think as far as tradition and some answers that, that that's helpful for the kids, but Correct. generally speaking, I would say, uh, no, I'm not. I, I am very pragmatic and very practical in the things that I do. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? Um, I think that, uh, I take the Einstein approach that energy is not created or destroyed. So it just goes into something else. Uh, hopefully that might go into another person, but you know, it could go into a brick. I don't know. <laughs> and your, um, your relationship with death is, uh, acceptable. You're, you're a okay. No fear. I mean, I've faced death a few times. I've had a motorcycle accident, a car accident. I've been in two plane crashes. Uh, what? and I had, a, and I had a, I, I have a, I have a, uh, incurable illness technically. So, and you're here. Uh, tell me, tell me briefly about these two plane crashes. What? It's like being struck by lightning more than once. Well, I was flying one. I wasn't flying the other one. So, <laughs> um, I was flying a private, uh, four seater small plane up into Maine with a couple people on it. And, uh, we got struck by wind shear basically. So we were about to land and the plane almost flipped over and ended up crashing it into a field and hitting a tree and we were fine i had a big scrape on my arm and uh i got out and i was standing in like a foot of fuel but uh that was fine i got on a plane that night and uh, flew home and uh the other one was a, a a company that doesn't exist anymore called vacation express it was a 727 we took off from uh, wilkesbury wilkesbury pennsylvania and had to do a a pretty rough emergency landing in uh allentown pennsylvania so whoa yeah Oh my goodness. I will leave you with this final question. Ari Mizell, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, that's a great question. That's a really great question. Uh, I, I think that, that the work that I've been able to do so far has impacted some, a lot of lives in a lot of ways and really enabled people to do more of what they want to do, uh, which I think, has a more, I think that has a generally positive effect on the world. So, um, but with all that, I think I would still probably want to be remembered as somebody who was a really, really good father. Mm, I can totally relate, totally relate, my man. It is the Iron Man himself. Who knew? My goodness. And I feel like we only scratched the surface so much to you. Thank you, sir, for um, spending your time and uh, giving us all of these nuggets. Fascinating. I love everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. And thank you for everybody tuning in and joining us. If you got something out of it, take one step forward and put something good into the world. We're going to have another great episode not too far behind. Stay close until we do it again. Go get them. 
Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.